0: Shipwrecks form the stuff of legend. One of the most well-known and researched shipwrecks came from the largest cargo ship in the Great Lakes, the Edmund Fitzgerald. For 13 years, it was the largest ship on the Great Lakes. Some photos make it look like it's two ships, but it was just one. <laughs> just like the two of them were smashed together and then welded in the middle. The Edmund Fitzgerald was an all-star. The ship and its crew made 748 round trips, and it storied 17-year career, it was built to haul iron ore from Wisconsin to Detroit. But something happened on November 10, 1975, that even the experts cannot explain. Lake Superior turned from friend to foe and turned on the Edmund Fitzgerald. Hurricane-force winds beat up the nearly 30,000-ton freighter. The churning waves tossed it around like a ball. They came 35 feet high and over the railing. Captain McSorley radioed for help to a nearby freighter. I have a bad list. Lost both radars. He knew in that moment that this could be it. They were only 17 miles from the shore, and on a calm day, they would have made that short trip in one hour. But this day was not calm. This day, the lake appeared angry. And by the end of that November day, Lake Superior had claimed the lives of all 29 crew members and the largest ship on the Great Lakes. The shipwreck is storied and inspired Gordon Lightfoot's song, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Here are just a few bars. When supper time came, the old cook came on deck saying, fellas, it's too rough to feed you. And I won't sing the rest of it. <laughs> At 7 p.m., a main hatchway caved in. He said, fellas, it's been good to know ya Okay, maybe I'll sing a little bit. <laughs> the captain wired in, he had water coming in, and the good ship and crew was in peril. And later that night, when his lights went out of sight, came the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And the song continues. The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down on the big lake they call Gitchigumi. That would be Lake Superior. Superior, they said, never gives up her dead when the gales of November come early. That's the shipwreck story of the Edmund Fitzgerald, and it's just the stuff of legend. Because even the most seafaring sailors can find themselves in grave danger, and sadly, even in a watery grave when the waters turn angry and turn on a ship in the middle of the water. The Great Lakes turned on the Edmund Fitzgerald, much like the Sea of Galilee turned on the disciples' modest fishing boat in John chapter 6. And we're going to hear that story right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion podcast Hey, good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. Sorry, I had to sing there. It just, you can't read those lines without singing them, so I apologize already. Happy to have you on the podcast. My name is L.J. Harry. I'm your host, and you are listening to the God's Word for Life companion podcast, and today's episode is called Walking on Water. I'm just going to give you a little spoiler alert. Jesus walks on water. Yes, he does. This story is found in John chapter 6, and it's John chapter 6, verse 19 is what we're going to focus. When they, the disciples, had rowed about 5 and 20 or 30 furlongs. For my friends here in the United States, to don't measure anything in furlongs. That's about three or four miles. And for my friends in Canada or anywhere around the world who measures in meters, that's about four and a half to five and a half kilometers. So whenever the disciples had sailed about 30 furlongs, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship and they were afraid. The disciples had just come to the end of a wonderful, wonder-filled day. Jesus had fed his city with a lunchable, and after he fed their stomachs, he fed their souls. He preached the word to them. The crowd was restless, ready for a Messiah, and they just knew this Jesus was the king they were waiting for. But Jesus slipped out of the crowd into the mountain before they could crown him king. Quick sidebar, Jesus was more concerned with his mission which would be to seek and save that which was lost. Then he was building a mega church there and just having good church all the time. He sent his disciples into a boat so they could sail to the other side of the sea and he would meet up with them later. As they sailed, he prayed. The sun was setting, the moon was beaming, the night was perfect for another calm cruise across the sea. And some of the disciples knew about cruises, a handful were fishermen, rowing along with no concerns, no cares, already in the middle of the water, halfway there, maybe, maybe, They would have time to roast a few s'mores before lanterns out. And then without warning, they found themselves in the middle of a fishing boat, in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a hurricane. In a matter of seconds, they went from calm, moonlit cruise to rowing for their lives. But this was not their first time in danger. As the wind pushed and the sea churned, they thought back to the last time it looked like this time, and they thought, what do we do? What do we do? Oh, I remember. Let's wake Jesus. Jesus will stand up, speak up, the storm will calm down. He did it before, he'll do it again. But this time was not like last time. This time Jesus was not asleep on the boat with them. He wasn't even on the boat with them. Jesus was on the shore. As we live for God, we will discover God is not formulaic. Here's what that means. God does not do everything the same way every time. And that's okay. That just tells us he is God. We are not and he knows what he's doing even when we don't. Time for our first question. Have you ever been discouraged if God did not answer your prayer exactly as you prayed it? And how did you deal with that discouragement? Because God does not answer prayer the same way every time. Take a look at the stories of how Jesus healed people who were blind in the Bible. Mark chapter 8, Jesus spit on a man's eyes laid his hands on him and asked him can you see and he said yeah i can see but people look like they're trees walking around which that would be odd then jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again and he could see mark chapter 10 bartimaeus coming along and just cried out jesus spoke and he could see john 9 jesus spit in the ground made some clay put it on the man's eyes and he could see Jesus doesn't do everything the same way every time, and that's okay. He's God, we're not. Sometimes we pray for healing for ourselves or somebody else, and God miraculously heals, and other times we pray for healing, and we watch God miraculously give grace to live through the sickness. When God answers a prayer for somebody down the row from us at church, but he doesn't answer our prayer like we hoped, God is still God, and God is still good. He does not love us less and love them more This time in the Sea of Galilee would have been a great time for an encore of that miracle in Mark 4, but Jesus was a few furlongs away, and your mission today is to use that term in a sentence. So (laughs) the officer stops you on the way home from work and says, you know how fast you're going? You could say, I don't know, I'm not quite sure, 400 furlongs an hour? You know what, on second thought, (laughs) do not do that. As the disciples worked their rescue mission, they were getting nowhere. The fishermen were nervous. The tax collector and physician were really nervous because they saw the fishermen were nervous. It seemed like for every bucket of water they bailed out of the boat, the sky opened up, the waves crashed down, and two more buckets poured into the boat. Try as they might, they could not get ahead. They were in the unforgiving hands of Hurricane Hezekiah, rowing their little fishing boat for all they were worth. And although Jesus was not with them, he was watching them. Mark's gospel records one of the most reassuring passages in all the word of God. It's a passage we need to read and remember. Mark 6, verse 48 reads, He... Jesus saw them toiling and rowing. When the disciples could not see Jesus, Jesus still saw them. We need to hear that verse again. Let it sink in. Write it with permanent chisel-tip sharpie on your soul. When they could not see him, he still saw them. He saw them when they were calmly cruising along. And he saw them when they were fighting for their lives. It would have made it for a great story if Jesus had come walking on the calm waters when they were still as glass. The disciples would have applauded and slapped each other on the back. Wow, he really is something. Did you see that? He walks on water. But Jesus came walking above the water when it looked like the water was about to take the disciples under. Here's how it happens. storms on the Sea of Galilee, they birth in a moment. When the cold weather from the mountains mixes with the warm weather from the water, they form squalls that have claimed the lives of even the most seasoned seafarers, because many of the storms stir without warning. Wouldn't it be wonderful If those storms came with a check engine light, they don't. And neither do life's storms. We would have fair warning before the squall hits and tosses our boat. We could even get out of the boat and get to shore, but life does not always come with a warning. Life's storms are much like Galilee's storms. They strike without warning. Car accidents claim our loved ones without warning. Divorce claims our families, sometimes without warning. Job loss and layoffs claim our security because of the economy without warning. Addiction claims our freedom without warning. But even when life surprises us and tosses us around, it does not surprise Jesus. He knows exactly what will happen and when. Just as he saw the disciples, he sees us. We should follow the disciples' lead and look for Jesus in our storm. When the winds pound and the rain stings, look to Jesus. So why do people isolate from other people and even from God when they face a storm? And how do we make sure we do not make that same mistake? As the disciples wrestled to steer their boat to safety, they saw a silhouette of a man walking on the waves. <laughs> That's not something you see every day. People don't walk on water. <laughs> exactly. This silhouette must be a ghost, they thought. But just when they thought, the end of their life could not get any worse. Well, here came a ghost to haunt them. Life just got worse. They are more afraid of the water-walking silhouette than they were of the storm. They shrieked, and they were surprised when Jesus answered, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Okay, that's easy for you to say. You're the one walking on the water. Let me ask you this question. If you were one of the disciples and saw Jesus walking on the water, how would you have responded? I think I would have said, Oh, Jesus, I'm so glad it is you, but how about next time when you're about, I don't know, four furlongs away, you just start yelling our names so we know it's you because... That really scared us. But when Jesus showed up shipside, he calmed their fears that he was a ghost. So, whew, that was close. But he pulled back the veil even further than he had in previous passages. And he gave them a treasure and gave us a treasure that is buried beneath the King James English. To us, King James reads, it is I, be not afraid. Jesus was saying basically, hey, read the name tag, boys. It's me, Jesus, no need to fear but he was revealing to them that he was the I am. Jesus was not just telling them, hey, you know, it's it's just me. The truest translation is, I am. Be not afraid. Right there on the water, in the middle of a storm, Jesus made the highest divine claim he could make. He did not just come from God. He was God who had come in flesh. Jesus identified as the God of the Old Testament, who introduced Himself to Moses as "I am," you can see that story in Exodus three, verse fourteen. It would be similar to saying He was Jehovah, the Jehovah Jireh who provided a ram for Abraham to sacrifice, the Jehovah Rapha who healed the Israelites of their deadly diseases, the Jehovah Nissi who fought for Israel against their enemies, the Jehovah Shalom who gave Gideon peace when he faced over a hundred twenty thousand ruthless, relentless soldiers, the Jehovah Sabaoth who stands at the helm of all heaven's armies. The Jehovah-Raha, who shepherds his sheep to safety, that Jehovah was standing in the wind on the water that threatened their very lives. The statement Jesus made in Matthew 14, Mark 6, and John 6 is one of the fullest revelations of Jesus' identity to his disciples and to us. Jesus is, I am. The followers followed Jesus long enough to know each of the aforementioned Bible stories where God revealed himself in a new way to his people and they knew he could do it for others, he could certainly calm the storm for them. Do not ever lose sight of who Jesus really is. He's not just a baby in a manger or a crucified Christ on the center cross. Jesus is, I am. What effect does knowing Jesus as I am have on your faith? Maybe you're trusting God to do something that he's done before, he's done for others. You can trust him to do it. And maybe because of whatever you're dealing with, whatever sickness you're going through, whatever diagnosis you just got, whatever job loss you're facing or whatever financial mountain is building in your life that you just can't seem to get across. And you wonder, is God able? Is God willing? Let this story preach to you, Jesus is, I am. When we couple Matthew's account of this story with John's, we've got a more complete picture of what happened on that stormy sea. Peter could not believe what he was seeing Then when Peter realized Jesus was there and Jesus was I am He, Peter, asked to walk on the water with Jesus He threw one leg over the boat and then he threw the other leg over the boat Now it's time to hold on or let go, do or die (laughs) And that die part scared him Peter let go of the boat and began to walk on water He and Jesus, the only two to ever use the sea for a sidewalk Especially in a storm And we don't know what happened because we don't have the DVR so we can look back. Maybe the thunder clapped or the lightning lit up the sky. Because keep in mind, it did not stop storming when Jesus was there. But something caught Peter's attention and he looked away from Jesus just long enough to look around. And suddenly he began to fret and sink. But Jesus reached out and saved him. Then when they both boarded the boat, the sea calmed. The storm calmed. The wind quieted the waves stopped churning. And once again, Jesus demonstrated by walking on the sea and calming the churning sea that even nature must bow its knee to Jesus. Even the wind and waves obey him. My friend, Jesus walks on what worries us. The doctor's diagnosis, the bills we cannot pay, the fear of being forgotten. Jesus has power over all of those. No doubt, precious people in our families and church family hear the howling wind and feel the stinging rains and the crashing waves. We wonder how long we can bail water and stay afloat. John has good news for us. The I am is here. Hallelujah. The I am is here. He always has the power to calm the storm. But even if he doesn't, he's still God. He will still be with us in the storm. And he will calm us. If hey, we kick this off with a song. Let's close it out with a song. When I was a kid growing up, I used to hear this song that Scott Cropain sang, and it's beautiful. Sometimes he calms the storm. Here are the lyrics. I won't sing it. Do not worry. Don't turn it off. I promise I won't sing it. Sometimes he calms the storm. With a whispered peace be still, he can settle any sea, but it doesn't mean he will. Sometimes he holds us close and lets the wind and waves go wild. Sometimes he calms the storm, and other times he calms his child. When we really realize whom we are serving, we will fret less and trust more. Jesus is, I am, almighty God. He is with us and he walks on water. Last question, what is the greatest storm Jesus has calmed in your life? Would you tell it to somebody today? Tell your story, share it with somebody and let them know. Okay, we wrap this up. A newly mended 31-year-old man woke to a delicious birthday breakfast. A few minutes later, his mother called to say that she and his dad wouldn't be able to make it to the birthday party because his dad had a rough night's sleep. But that was all right. He went back to eating the birthday omelet and drinking orange juice. And 20 minutes later, his mother called back. She was screaming. She was crying. He's gone. He's gone. Your dad is gone. He was at 55 years old. The young man dialed 911 and sped toward the parents' house, and when he arrived, he expected to see an ambulance and possibly the police, but instead he only saw his mom's car and dad's van in the driveway. First responders had yet to respond. He and his mom worked to pull the dad out of the recliner and onto the floor. With the help of a dispatcher, the young man administered CPR, but there was no response. A few minutes later, he heard sirens, but it was too late. His dad was indeed gone. It was a Sunday morning, and he and his family were reeling from the sudden death that struck without warning. They could not make it to the morning service of the church family because they were meeting with the funeral home, but that same night, he and his family made their way to church because he knew he needed Jesus and the church. Church family surrounded him. Family prayed with them. Those were difficult days, but they would have felt impossible without the presence of God and a praying church. On that dark day and the days following, the young man looked for Jesus in the storm and he found him. Jesus was standing right there on the very waves that worried and threatened him. I don't know what you're going through, but whatever it is, don't run from Jesus. Don't shake your fist in his face. Look for him. He will be right there. Look to him. Lean on him. He will hold you and he will hold you up. Slip your hand in his and trust he knows where you are and he'll get you through this storm. Hey, let's pray. Pray for God to help us to seek him first in life's storms and then courage to walk where Jesus calls us to walk. Lord, I love you. I trust you. I believe you. You are good. You're able to calm any storm. I don't know your plan. You're able to heal every disease, empty every hospital. You can do any of it. But God, your ways are higher than ours. I ask you simply today to minister to us, help us to look for you. In the middle of life storms, may we look for you and I know we will find you. I ask you, Lord, to minister to those who are listening to this episode. Whether they're teaching this lesson this Sunday, give them grace to minister to the people they're teaching or they're a student or they're in a church that doesn't even have this lesson. However it works for them, God, I pray minister to your people through this episode today. I ask you to help us to walk where you call us to walk. Even in the middle of a storm, may we trust you. May we look to you rather than at what is happening and trust you to get us through it. We believe you. We look to you. We love you. And we're so thankful you love us enough to be with us in the middle of these storms. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much, God's Word for Life listeners. I feel the presence of the Lord just sharing these beautiful miracles Jesus has worked and will work in our day. Be sure to subscribe, like, follow, click the notify button. That way you'll never miss an episode and then share it with anybody in the middle of a storm right now. Say, hey, you need to listen to this. God wants to help you in what you're going through and he will help them. Share it with them. Be a blessing to them. Also, head over to PentecostalPublishing.com, pick up all the God's Word for Life curriculum. We're getting ready to go into the spring quarter. So if you haven't ordered your spring curriculum, you can do that, God's Word for Life, on PentecostalPublishing.com and use promo code GWFL10 and you'll get 10% off your entire order except for curriculum. Hey, we got to pay my paycheck, right? I'm just kidding. It doesn't all go to me. All right. Next week. We're going to finish out this series, The Bread of Life, and I have thoroughly enjoyed sharing these with you because I believe they, they've ministered to me. I pray they minister to you. Our next lesson episode before the spring quarter begins is called, aptly named, The Bread of Life. In the series, The Bread of Life. In case you're wondering where it came from, you're about to find out. I'm looking forward to sharing that episode with you next week and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.